and welcome to the show that's thinking, ah, maybe it'll be our turn to manage Leeds next time. On today's show, we cast an eye over Brentford and their B team. That pun only works when it's written down, but trust me, it, it worked. We sent Matt to Northampton this weekend, but not for the Cobblers, for Rochdale, and they only went and did a win. Port Vale haven't done a win in ages, but are there reasons to be cheerful now that Neil Aspin's at the helm? We'll take a look at the news, and there's a lot of it. We'll play the Fan League, and I'll even tell you why Adolf Hitler was so fond of Rochdale. You don't get that anywhere else. You only get it here on the Totally Football League Show in association with William Hill. Hello, Billy Grant from Besotted. Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you in the studio. It's a pleasure to be here. You do uh, vlogs, blogs, fanzine, everything, don't you, for Brentford? We do. We've sort of gone multimedia. Like yeah. We write, we video, we podcast, we speak, we do everything. Taking over the world, spreading out from West London. And it was on your travels, actually, that I owe you a great debt of uh, thanks, because you were in Marseille, weren't you? Indeed. I think I was on the other side of the square to you. Yeah. So there was me on Twitter telling everybody, you know, what was happening and people attacking England fans who were actually behaving themselves and getting the old um, uh, never happened tweets coming back from... People who knew far, far more than me from their bedrooms in Gloucestershire. And uh, and then you posted a video of the entire attack taking place. It was like, ha, 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 redemption. Though also still a very unpleasant incident. It was really quite scary, actually. Myself and Dave Laney, we do besotted together. And like I said to you, we put this little video blog together of uh, some French guys, which we noticed, and they uh, attacked a load of England fans with a load of bottles. And we put the video out there and it went absolutely viral. And it showed the world that actually the stories about England fans aren't necessarily true. And it flipped, it actually flipped the story for England fans. And people actually felt a little bit towards them. They, you know, there's a yeah. bit more empathy. Oh, I walked all, all around that dock that day. There were about 10,000 England fans there. There were about 100 singing war songs and being dicks. Um, and everyone else was behaving themselves, having a drink, chatting happily. Um, so, no, it was really good that you were there to um, to record that. Matt, you were in Northampton to record Frochdale's victory over the Cobblers. Did you have fun? I did, yes. Great time. We, uh, good game. We almost didn't get you back, did we? Because all the trains were cancelled, so you almost spent the night in Northampton. I'm a trooper, Ian. I always make it back. We'll, we'll have more on that later. Um, before we get to the news, let's have a look at performance of the week. If you follow us on Facebook or on Twitter, and if you don't, please do. That just make my day uh, we do performance of the week on Monday we all nominate a team uh, Tayo who did you nominate this week only one place for me to start ten men two injury time goals seven goals in total a penalty save and if I sound out of breath saying that it's because I'm still chasing Marcus Bean down the side <laughs> I'm going for Wickham Wanderers and their amazing win alright Wickham Wanderers a very very good shout so much so that I wanted it as well uh, I had to make do with Cardiff because if you can't get performance of the week for going to Ellen Road and sticking four past Leeds. When can you get it? Uh, Joe Crilly, Bolton Wanderers supporter. Um, who did you vote for? Bolton Wanderers, obviously. Yep, uh, <laughs> I suspected as much, but it was a good result, 1-0 over Bristol City. Uh, Matt Stanger, who did you vote for? I went for Accrington Stanley, second time in a fortnight that have come from 2-0 down at home to win 3-2, which I think is pretty decent going. Would have gone for Plymouth uh, if uh, so many Plymouth fans hadn't suggested it to me, rubbing in that result there. <laughs> Um, let's let's have a look at those results. Matt, you came fourth, only 13% uh, agreed with you. Joe, you came third with 17%. I came second uh, for Cardiff, 33%. But with 37% of the vote, this week's winners are Wickham. Well done, Tayo. Now it's time for the news in brief. Leeds United are set to announce Paul Heckingbottom as their new manager. They might already have done it by the time you listen to this. After the sacking of Thomas Christensen over the weekend, the Dane paid the penalty for Leeds 4-1 hiding at home to Cardiff and a terrible winless run that stretches all the way back to Boxing Day. Heckingbottom only signed a new contract with Barnsley last Friday, but Leeds have activated the reported six-figure release clause, which actually seems like a bit of a bargain. Bradford have sacked Stuart McCall after a run of six successive defeats in all competitions. McCall was in his second spell in charge of the Bantams. The club statement said, This decision has not been taken lightly, and this is a sad day for everyone involved. But we believe our current squad is capable of performing to a much higher standard than we've seen recently. We must all accept responsibility for the recent run of form, including our players, who now have the opportunity to put it right. We'll have a look at the shortlist for that job soon. Oxford are looking for a new bust too. Uh, as we said last week, the word is that Craig Bellamy and David Unsworth might be having a 90s footballer face-off there for that job. There's also talk of Frank Lampard again. We'll follow that with interest. That was your news in brief. 
Right, let's talk about Leeds, Matt Stanger. Uh, sacked another manager. No one's had 100 games in charge of that club since Grayson left in 2012. Uh, since Neil Warnock's appointment, following that, the average lifespan of a Leeds manager is 33 games. Uh, that's, that's not really enough, is it? It isn't, but then at the same time, the Championship can be a bit of a gamble, can't it? So... If, if they still think there's an opportunity to get into playoffs this season, then do they stick with Christiansen to give him the rest of the year to continue building his methods there? Or, or, or do they move on and, and try and roll the dice and see if they can get someone in like Paul Heckingbottom to, to, to take them up in, in, the, in the current season? So, Billy, so much changes over the course of a football league season. Um, after about a month, I think we're all looking at Leeds as promotion candidates, though equally we were all looking at Brentford to get relegated. Now we've got Brentford on the uh, on the fringes of the playoffs, just behind Leeds. Do you think the sacking's harsh? I always believe that if you get a manager in and you believe in a manager, right, you know, like any company, you get somebody in to do a job, then you should stick with it. And I think with Leeds, they're always very, very kamikaze. If you speak to any Leeds fans, they were, uh, they were delighted because they actually had a manager over a period of time. You know, and with Christensen, even though there's lots of people that are moaning that certain results haven't gone well, at the end of the day, you still have to see, do I believe in the football that he's playing? Is he the right person for the job? You know, but I think the problem that you get with football is that the expectations are so high. So with a team like Leeds, who were champions of Europe, apparently, um, <laughs> with a team like Leeds, they expect to be in the Premier League. So if the manager isn't doing the business you've got an owner who's going to say actually we're not very happy with this and also the fans also put pressure on it and if you ever go to Leeds at Ellen Road and if there's pressure on them you can just feel it if you're not getting if, you, if you're an away team and you're winning you can feel the fans they get on the back of the manager get on the back of the team and I think that has got a lot to do with it I Matt. think he was going to be forgiven one sloppy run this season and when he lost 8 out of 11 games between September and the end of November and managed to turn it around again, sort of at the start of December. I think uh, you know he could have been forgiven for that, but the fact that it's another run now without a victory in, in five matches, it just adds the pressure to him. And it was it was inevitable, really, wasn't it? Especially with the disciplinary issues as well. Seven red cards this season, four in the last five games. Barada getting sent off at the weekend. Size ruled out for six matches for spitting against Newport. It looked a little bit like he was losing control of his squad. Uh, you're just building up for a giant I told you so aren't you because in the uh, episode we did with James Brown former Loaded editor and uh, prominent Leeds United supporter you were adamant in the face of his opposition that Christensen wasn't going to wasn't going to turn it around yeah I've watched him a few times this season and uh, I think they've always struggled really to, to create a lot of chances in attack they've they've missed a focal point Lasaga got a couple of great goals recently actually in uh, in that game against Millwall but um, I think yeah, they, they they never looked really after that first slip under Christensen that they were going to really turn it around and, and push back to get back in the automatic places where they'd look so commanding at the, the early stages of the season. Paul Heckingbottom is the uh, likely choice. He may even be in position by the time you listen to this. Uh, Benjamin Jenkins on Twitter says, uh, is the Heckingbottom appointment a direct response to Ian Hart moaning on Twitter? Hart complained that the Spanish under-23 manager was talking Spanish to the Spanish-speaking players, so now we've appointed them most Yorkshire-sounding man in football. Pretty sure Zach Dingle is coming in as a, uh, as assistant. Uh, what do you make of Paul Heckingbottom? He has got a very Yorkshire name, hasn't he? He's got a massively Yorkshire name. I mean, speaking to the West End Bogs boys over at Barnsley, I mean, they love Hecky as they call him, and you know, he's he's done he's done good by them. Obviously, they're going through a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy period at the moment now. And um, I mean, I was just looking through their tweets to see exactly what they're thinking, and I think the Barnsley fans are a little bit up in arms, thinking, "Hold on a second, you know, he's been taken from underneath us." At the moment now, they're on the edge of um, relegation zone and whether or not um, he's going to be able to actually, you know, instill and put things into Lisa. I'm, I've got a question mark about that. I'll have to be honest with you. And um, Paul Heckingbottom, of course, in the past, Matt, has said that in his neighbourhood when he was a kid, they were divided into two groups. You're a Leeds fan or you're a Barnsley fan. He's very much a Barnsley fan. Is that, is that going to cost him a bit of goodwill? Mm, I think it might do among some fans, but I think there's a lot of... Leeds fans who probably hate their own club more than anyone else in, uh, <laughs> in recent years. So, so uh, I, I think really when it when it comes to when he he joins the club when he's finally appointed, it, he's going to do the best job he possibly can. It's a massive job for him. It's a big step from some, from Barnsley, a local rival, and I, I think stuff like that's a bit of nonsense. Really, it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, I think whoever um, takes that club back to the Premier League, they're probably never going to have to buy a drink in Yorkshire again. Um, I've got to move on because time's getting against us, but just wanted a quick word about Oxford. Um, David Unsworth appears to be the front runner, um, which 
you know, may, may concern a few people who saw Everton against Southampton earlier in the season. But he does have a good record with youth players, doesn't he, Matt? Yeah, he's done a brilliant job. And uh, there's a couple of his former youth players, I think, have gone to Oxford as well. There's Ryan Ledson, obviously, who's uh, who, who scored the winner against Charlton at the weekend, to George Ellick. Uh, he pointed out that... Obviously, we should have nominated Oxford for that 3-2 victory at the Valley there, which which was a great performance, two goals in the last two minutes to win it. So I, th- I think Unsworth, if, if they're looking to build a bit more slowly and promote the, promote the, the younger players uh, outside the first team, then then it's a good option. But there have been some big names linked as well. I mean, Lampard was approached by them. He confirmed that back in the summer. Uh, they talk of Bellamy as well. I've noticed him in the, in the betting. Um, I'm not sure if he's actually been officially linked yet, but he apparently gave a Hollywood interview for the Wales job before they appointed Ryan Giggs. So it's, it's pretty clear that he's interested in a management position. Bill, any uh, any names you've seen popping up that you think would do well in a, in a job like that? It's interesting that name that's popped up is, uh, is Mark Warburton is what I'd say Ooh. and I'll throw that into the pot obviously he was an ex-Bredford manager um, he's had a couple of stints one at Rangers one at Nottingham Forest Hadn't, didn't go particularly well you know for him uh, now he needs to rebuild himself but the fact is that and I'm not going to put me in that would say Mark Walburn he does play he, he, I think he's a good manager I think he plays play very good football Certain things may have not gone, you know, with him, with the recruitment side and everything like that but you know you learn from that but I think that maybe he may need to take a step down and build and actually have a little bit of time to build but he does play great football and if he gets time for that I think that he could actually do a good job Interesting shout let's go over to Joe Crilly from William Hill um, Let's. Uh, we can't talk about the odds of Leeds obviously because it looks yeah. like Heckin Bottom's in place uh, Bradford though looking for a manager what's the, what's the running looking like on that? It, it's quite close in the Bradford betting market Hannes Wolf, who was actually a name that was uh, linked with the Leeds job when uh, when Christiansen first left uh, he's six to four favourite with Greg Abbott nine to four and uh, Uwe Rosler, uh, another uh, name who's, uh, who's had been doing well with Fleetwood up until recently. Yeah, and of course uh, had his spell at Brentford as well. Uh, he's the third favourite at four to one, and uh, Simon Grayson and Andres Hinkle six to one. And um, what about uh, Oxford? And Oxford, obviously, you've you've mentioned Unsworth and Bellamy. Unsworth odds on at four to seven. Bellamy two to one. Uh, Assistant manager Derek Fazakli five to one. Uh, And and Warburton was mentioned. He's twenty five to one for the uh, Oxford job. When we come back after the break, it's the Championship Roundup. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out WilliamHill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Championship roundup time. Hit the music, producer Tayo. Wolves maintained their 11-point lead at the top of the championship on Saturday night with a crushing 3-0 victory over Sheffield United. No goalkeeper in the world could have kept out Ruben Nevers' opening goal and the Blades never recovered. Birmingham City are recovering though. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-1 at Hillsborough, their second win on the bounce, and they rise to 19th. Wednesday reduced to nine men in this one, falling fast. And QPR might just get out of this. Their 1-0 win over Barnsley lifts Ian Holloway's side to what you could loosely call mid-table. But I fear this defeat isn't going to be the worst thing that happens to Barnsley this week. After five winless matches in December, Aston Villa were down in eighth. But they've now won six on the bounce, the latest a 3-2 victory over Burton to move within a point of the automatic places. Derby are holding on to second though. They beat 10-man Brentford 3-0 after Sergi Canos was sent off in the first half. And Fulham's surge up the table continues with a 2-0 win over Nottingham Forest. Aitor Karanka said the Cottagers might be the best team in the division after watching their fourth successive victory. It's not the 20,000 empty seats in the Stadium of Light that should raise eyebrows. It's a 28,000 full ones. How on earth are there 28,000 people still prepared to pay money to watch Sunderland? They lost at home to Ipswich, they're 23rd, and they're in big trouble. Joe Crilly's Bolton were in big trouble, but that surprise 1-0 win over Bristol City has lifted them out of the drop zone. And how much longer does Yap Stam have at Reading? They lost 2-0 at home to Millwall on Saturday, and they're 18th. A 4-1 defeat to Cardiff at Ellen Road spelled the end for Thomas Christensen at Leeds. It was the Whites' fifth defeat in seven matches as they dropped down to 10th. And Middlesbrough only a point ahead of them after they were pegged back 1-0 at Norwich thanks to a great strike from Tom Tribal. Meanwhile, Preston have sneaked up to 7th. Alex Neal's side came from behind to beat Hull 2-1 and have now lost only once in the last 14 matches. 
All right, let's have a look at Brentford then. Um, I'm not sure we picked the best week to yeah. to talk about Brentford after what happened on Saturday. It was an intriguing little tussle before the uh, Canos red card, um, and then Derby really took control, ended up 3-0 winners. It must have been a frustrating afternoon. It's really frustrating because, as you know, with Derby, they're very, very organised, and we had to be at our A game throughout the whole game. And the fact is that it was pretty even until Carlos got sent off. I remember at the time when he got sent off, of course, you've got your rose-tinted glasses and the terrace is like, no, no, that wasn't the regard. What are you talking about, referee? You don't know what you're doing. Somebody played it back on Twitter and we thought, ah, actually, maybe it was. <laughs> Olsen does go really high in the air, doesn't he? Yes, he, he did. He gets a lot of altitude after yes, that impact. The, there was a lot of cartwheel action going on, <laughs> it's got to be said. So I think it did help to the send, to, for the sending off as well. Um, Dean Smith didn't think it was. Um, it may be 50-50 and maybe in other games... It might not have been, but he went and then the game was, we were struggling after that, to be quite honest. We were always struggling for the first half. Um, they got two goals, they went 2-0 up, but in the second half, we really came back. We actually played good football and as besotted, we do this podcast after each game. We go, we interview home fans and away fans and we interview Derby fans and they said to us, 3-0 flattered us. You know, and we're not saying it because, of course, we lost 3-0 and we've got hands in the air. But the Derby fans said, you know, you played really well in the second half. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I still think, he said, I still think we might be more player material as opposed to automatic um, promotion material, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, well, it was a good performance, uh, certainly in the first 20 minutes by Ryan Woods, who only always catches the eye because he's got bright red hair and he's that little tiny defensive dynamo um, that sits just in front of the back four. The ginger Messi. Yeah. <laughs> He's, um, he, he was having a lovely... I really like the way he just manages to take a little touch, take a little turn, find a bit of space, get the ball out to um, to someone with a bit more pace, a bit more um, you know invention. He starts the attacking moves really nicely. Obviously, once they were down to 10 men, he couldn't really do that anymore. Didn't have the space. But there are there are a few other players on the Brentford side who um, catch the eye. One of them is um, Chris Meppham, Matt. Yeah, Chris Meppham, uh, centre back, who's been promoted from the the B team at Brentford, who started out at Chelsea, and uh, he sort of epitomises the, the the direction the club are looking to go in, um, especially with scrapping that academy setup there to to move through the the B team um, setup. And uh, yeah, he started the game well. Uh, obviously, gave away a clumsy penalty towards the end to to make it three 0 But uh, just an example, really, of how Dean Smith's looking to integrate those younger players in in his first team squad. Yeah, I like him. Straight back, looks up, tries to advance on the ball. Um, he was, of course, the subject of an eight million pound bid from Bournemouth in January, which uh, which Brentford turned down. Um, he's he's only played what fifteen games for Brentford. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing actually. I mean, Chris Meppham, we saw him a year ago, exactly a year ago. Now we went to a B team game against QPR just down there in Harlington. And I remember he was there and he was playing. And we thought, yeah, he looks not too bad. He's you know he's okay. What they have is they've got this theory in the B team. What what they want to do, which they didn't have with the academy, they have a path through from the B team to the A team. So they allow them certain players to train with the first team players. They'll go on the coach. They'll do certain things even if they're not um, going to play. And they'll just get themselves acclimatised. And they did that. And uh, a year later, all of a sudden, Meppham's in the side. He's played, what, as he said, just over 12 games. The first game he came was Norwich just before Christmas. And uh, he hasn't really looked back since. And I think what Brentford are, are looking to do is that we made a little bit of a fluff in the fact that we had one academy player who couldn't get into the team because he had loads of players above him. He had Harley Dean, he had Tony Craig, we had about three or four players and the path for him to get through wasn't there in the academy. So we sent him on loan to Wickham, you know. Um, he did very well at Wickham and then by the time he came back, he said, I want to play first team football. So we sold him to, to Barnsley and then a year later, he's at Swansea and it's Alfie Mawson. Ah, uh, yeah. Very, very decent player. Let's talk about that B team because uh, we, we're going back a couple of years when E Triple P comes in. E Triple P, of course, being the elite player performance plan, hmm. which on a personal note, I think is fundamentally unfair and shuts down the uh, the revenue stream of, of most smaller clubs. If I was running a club, I'd just shut the academy down year on year and just wouldn't bother with it because... The, the way it works is that higher grade academies can just swoop in, take your players for uh, low compensation fees. Um, and Brentford uh, were of the same mind um, and shut down their academy pretty and, much overnight. And that is exactly what happened. But over £2 million a year has been spent on the academy. Um, the owner, Matthew Benham, he's massively into developing youth, really, really, really into it. And he kept it running for a few years. And then he did a bit of forensics. He looked into it. He thought, 
the players aren't coming through like they expect them to. Um, I'm losing money hand over foot. And he tried to rectify it. He was going to try and see if he could rectify it. But in the end, they thought it's better to actually shut it down and put a new system into place. So we got a lot of grief for it shut the academy down and they set up a B-team system. And part of the reason why they shut it down is also is that we had a couple of players in particular who we'd taken all the way through the system. And then as it came to the time where they were going to sign as a 17-year-old, they decided not to sign their contract, which means that they become tied to the club. And one of them went over to Manchester City. Um, I think his name was Povda. And the other one actually went to Manchester United and his name was Josh Bowie. And they were the two of the players which we thought were going to be really, really on the next level of players. So the owner said, tell you something, I can't be doing this anymore. I'm going to set up a B team where people sign from 17 on proper contracts and we'll give them a path through into the A team as well. And instead of playing these academy games, we'll let them go off and play teams like Man United and Man City and Inter Milan and AC Milan. Yeah, and they just play friendlies. They don't play in uh, in a league structure. And on the, on the one hand, it is a shame because Brentford's work, uh, particularly in the, in the local community, they had so many players at so many levels. M- Mike Calvin wrote about it in uh, his book on scouting, I think. And then the whole thing gets shut down. But it's really interesting. I really like this quote from uh, Robert Rowan, who is uh, head of recruitment at Brentford. That's right. He's, the, actually, he's actually now the technical director. He got a new technical job about director, a week ago. Yeah. He's only, was he only 26? 26, 27? Yeah. Um, anyway, he said, uh, for instance, we know everything about every player in the under-18s at Tottenham. Um, there isn't much point in us going out to scout young talent at lower league clubs as every Premier League club can outspend and outresource us. It's actually a waste of time. So instead, we have in-depth knowledge of the ones who might be released from the big clubs. So they're just turning the whole thing on its head and watching the bigger teams to see who gets dropped out at the age of 18 that they can work with. That's right. And not only in this country as well, but also internationally as well. So we're using our international scouting network to bring in players from Denmark and from Czechoslovakia and from all over the place. So we bring, you know, we bring them in. So, you know, Lucas Talbro, He's come from, you know, from abroad. We've got quite a few Danish players come in as well. Uh, Mad Speck Sorensen, we got from Denmark as well. One of the Brentford players who they believe in the next couple of years is going to be absolute, you know, he's going to be the Don Dada, as we as they may say. <laughs> like, you know, he's going to be very, very good. So this whole network has, has done really well. And Rob's a really, he's a really clued up bloke. He's a really nice bloke. He was actually um, a scout at Celtic beforehand, before he came to us. Um, I think he got, um, they tried, Rangers tried to poach him um, about a year ago um, and they tried to, approach him but he didn't he decided to be loyal manners as we say and he stuck with Brentford and now he's been given the technical um, um, director's job which means he doesn't only look after the B team now he's actually looking after players for the A team he said that for a week and um, I should be seeing him tomorrow because I'm flying out to Dundalk as you do, to go and see the B team play against <laughs> Dundalk in a match uh, in one of their pre-season friendlies tomorrow. That is dedication. You know that, man. Right you know? There. So is there anyone we should be looking at in the B team, keeping an eye on? Um, Who's like, the next Chris Mappham? Well, like I said to you, it's Mad Beck Sorensen. He's a, a very good player. Um, I've not actually seen him play, but hopefully I'll see him play tomorrow, which is, uh, he's, a, he's a very good as well. Reese Cole. Um, he's he's a friend of Besotted actually we've had him on our podcast uh, uh, just before last year he's a lovely bloke as well and he's had a few first team appearances and he's uh, he's he's a good he's a good chap as well and he's a good good look midfielder he just got loaned out but he got injured and he came back again I think he was at Newport County so he was at Newport County for a little bit what's it like supporting Brentford right now because in the past I, I do hope you won't take this as an insult but I always thought of Brentford as being a similarly sized club to South End you know we're always on the fringes of bigger clubs never really going to challenge for anything and and now there you are. You're up in the top half of the second flight. Outside chance of promotion. It must it, be quite good fun. It's, it is. And it's a bit weird. Um, we still try to maintain our ethos that we believe that we've never won anything and not done anything. So we uh, we do try and enjoy our whole day out. And it's not necessarily all about the football. We've got a phrase saying kick football out of football. Because unfortunately <laughs> football spoils the day sometimes. But um, it is good to see that the, the club have got this structure, particularly on the pitch. They've got a real direction. They know exactly what they want to do and how they want to go about it. Like I said to you, we... um the owner, Matt Benham, he supported Brentford since he was a kid. You know, he bunked off school to go and see us play Nottingham Forest in the League Cup um, back in the day. He got a train this. He's, he's totally on it and he's decided to invest his money into the club. He's got this whole statistical modelling thing where he finds players that no one has ever heard of. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we pull them out and we put them into the side 
and it seems to be working for us. And also, he's insistent on us playing very, very good passing football. Are you getting that that one thing though that that always lets it down? The the impatience of like that that tiny bracket of fans where they're like, "Oh, come on, we need a new manager. Take us to the next level." Is there any of that? There is a lot of that going really? on, but I think part of the reason is that there's a lot of people that have only seen us been relatively successful if you think about it you know Uwe Rosler came in in 2011 I think it was and we started to play some passing football and good football and people came in in 2011 12 13 14 so for the past five or six or seven years some people who are maybe sort of 9 10 11 they've only seen us play sort of relatively successful so if we don't do what they expect to do they're actually getting you know really impatient whereas the older lot are just happy to be there Okay. um, well, it was a terrible start to the season for Brentford. I really thought you might be in a lot of trouble, but incredible recovery. Eight points off the playoffs. Joe Crilly, have Brentford left it a bit too late? What what can I get on them to go up? Uh, They're 12 to 1, but I I seem to remember at the start of the season and also when we did our our Christmas previews, Brentford was still being mentioned as potential outsiders for uh, promotion. I still think that they are as well. 12 to 1, they're, they're not too far off the playoffs at the moment. Um, and there's certainly a couple of teams above them who are playing a lot, lot worse. So I certainly wouldn't be averse to putting a quid on on them going up. But uh, if you're looking at the, the favourites, Wolves, obviously, uh, 250 to 1 on. Uh, Villa, <laughs> Villa and Derby, it's kind of take your pick. Uh, both of them are 5 to 6. Uh, Cardiff, 2 to 1. And Fulham, 3 to 1. Listeners, we're proud to have teamed up with Mind to tell you about their latest campaign to raise awareness about mental health and get kids reading. The acclaimed children's author Johnny Zucker took his own life just over a year ago. He was a father to three young boys aged 10 to 16 and he'd been living with depression for two decades. A special edition of his most popular book Striker Boy has just been released, with all of the proceeds going to Johnny's family and the mental health charity Mind. Depression doesn't care who you are, how much you earn or how good you are at your job. It can strike any one of you listening to this podcast and the effects can be devastating. The leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide and that is something that has to stop. Find out more at strikerboy.com and if you need to talk to someone, contact Mind on 0300 123 3393 or visit mind.org.uk. Back to the show. It's time for the Fan League. You know how this works. It's a slip with 13 games on it. It's a home win, an away win, or a draw. It's as easy as that. Most of them are Premier League games. We've actually got five championship games here. So, first up, Joker Elise Bolton, as they are now known, against Flying Fulham. Matt? Four wins in a row for Fulham and great performance by Bolton to beat Bristol City on Friday night. Lee Johnson was saying that he thought Bristol City looked at, thought they were a little bit too stylish. Thought they tried to uh, to play a few things that didn't quite come off. And I, I think actually Fulham though will be too much for Bolton. So I'm going for a way win. Yep, Billy. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Fulham. You talk about um, Villa and Derby, but I actually think Fulham are actually one of the best teams um, for promotion in this league. However, being a Brentford fan, I can't actually put them down to win because I'll get slaughtered <laughs> if I go back to Griffin Park. And uh, and Bolton have had a little bit of a revival recently. And, uh, and like I said to you, I like the Lion of Vienna Suite lads. I'll be very, very disappointed if I don't put them down for a win. So I'm going to say 1-0 to Bolton. OK, well, I, I no, I can't see anyone but Fulham winning that one. Um, Middlesbrough against Reading, two, two kind of unhappy teams. Middlesbrough looked really good when we sent Matt to watch them at QPR. They haven't so much as scored a goal since then. Uh, Billy, Borough Reading. Oh, this is a tough one, Isn't actually. Speaking to, again, speaking to the Reading posse out there, they're saying that they're in a real downward slide at the moment now. So they can't see them scoring goals, especially scoring goals away from home. But Borough, they're a bit strange. I think, you know, Pulis hasn't really seemed to be Pulis pulling up strings at the moment now. So <laughs> I'm going to go for a nil-all draw at Borough. A bit of pressure. All right, Matt. It was a nil-nil draw against Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't it, a week or so ago? So I don't think that's a bad shout. I think I'm probably going to go for a draw as well, actually. No, I'm going Barrow win. Not sure Reading have uh, have got it in them. Um, Nottingham Forest bought a whole load of players in January, but they've lost three on the spin since beating Wolves. However, they have Hull. Hull are wretched. Uh, I'm saying Forest win here. Billy? Oh, this is another difficult one because Forest don't seem to have gelled. They've brought in a load of players, but they don't seem to know what they're doing with each other. Hull 
Um, again, speaking to the Hull fans, they really, really feel that they're in dire straits. And not only on the pitch, oh, yeah. but off the pitch as Oof. well, you see. So it's not adding to the vibe. But again, I'm going to go for another draw because I just think that these two teams are a little bit all over the place. I'm going to go for one all. All right, Matt. I'm going for a Forest win. Okay, uh, Wolves against QPR. I mean, do, let's just just make this quick. Does anyone think anything other than a Wolves win? No, no. I'm, I'm not allowed to say QPR, please. So I'm going to go one, one nil to Wolves. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, Ruben Nevers's goal. If you could make a noise that would represent Ruben Nevers's goal, I think it would be. <sighs> Matt. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> Billy? Cool. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right, finally, big one of the weekend, Aston Villa, Birmingham. Can I shock you? I think Birmingham are going to win this. They've won two on the bounce. They tend to have a good record against Aston Villa. I know Villa have won six on the spin, but it just looks like one of those games that, that blows everyone's accumulator. Matt? No, I think it'll be pretty tight draw, maybe 1-1. One, one. Billy? Every time they've nicked those three players of us in the in the in the summer, it's been you know it's going to be downhill for them. I know they had a good run, but I still think Villa might actually nick this one. All right, that's the fan league. You know where to find it. You find it on the app store. You type in fan league. When we come back, it's League One and it's Rochdale. League One roundup. Wigan continue to lead the way in League One. They beat Gillingham 2-0 and they're two points clear at the top. Four points ahead of third place Blackburn Rovers with a whopping plus 42 goal difference. But Paul Cook's side have to face South End this weekend at Roots Hall and Chris Powell's new manager bounce is extremely bouncy. The Shrimpers won 1-0 away at Peterborough on Saturday, their second win on the spin, and they've clambered up to 15th. No new manager bounce for the MK Dunzo. They lost again, this time away at Walsall, and they are three points adrift. Alex Rodman scored a brilliant 88th minute winner for Shrewsbury at Bristol Rovers as Paul Hurstside leapfrogged Blackburn back into second place. While in the derby of misery, Bury held Blackpool 1-1 to move within, well, 12 points of safety. And not the top 20 pods, George Alex was outraged that we didn't include Oxford's 3-2 win at Charlton in performance of the week. Goals from Todd Kane and Ryanette Ledson in the 89th and 90th minutes stole all three points at the Valley. Blackburn Rovers lost a bit of ground at the weekend, Matt. They were beaten 2-0 by the team it's become customary to call Resurgent Plymouth. The Pilgrims, relegation candidates just a couple of months ago, are only seven points off the playoffs. Portsmouth and Doncaster still have ambitions to make the playoffs themselves. Their two-all draw didn't do anyone good. And Rotherham, vanquishers of AFC Wimbledon this weekend, are very much in the playoffs, jammed into fifth place. Scunthorpe picked up their first win in five matches, beating Fleetwood 3-2 to remain fourth. While Rochdale claimed only their fifth win of the season, moving within eight points of safety thanks to a 1-0 win at Northampton. And Oldham inflicted a fifth successive defeat on Bradford to end Stuart McCall's reign. Richie Wellens has been linked with the vacancy at Valley Parade. On the line now is Mark Douglas. Mark of the Chronicle in the North East, but also a uh, very well-connected and well, long-suffering Bradford City fan. How are you, Mark? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. A little bit shocked by, um, well, not so shocked necessarily, but um, kind of still reeling from uh, from Monday's news, which I think has kind of uh, divided Bradford's fan bases. Yeah, the, the sacking of Stuart McCall, which I think would have been a shock for anyone who hadn't been keeping a close eye on things, because Bradford haven't really been out of the top six all season, have they? No, and I think uh, I think actually they've only spent three days, I think it is, actually when, since Stuart's been back at the club, uh, out of the top six in total. So, you know, over the course of the two years, his uh, his work pretty much stands up to any kind of scrutiny. He's definitely done a good job. I think the, the problem is that there's there's very another kind of really interesting set of dynamics at Bradford. I think before um, he came back, we had Phil Parkinson who um, was was there and did and did a terrific job on really limited resources. But there was a takeover in the summer of um, that followed Newcastle. Uh, that followed sorry Bradford getting. Uh, knocked out of the playoffs in the semi-finals um, by two German businessmen, Stefan Rob and Edin Rahic. And really the dynamics between the, those owners and Stu McCall has never been right, despite the fact there's been a lot of success on the pitch. That dynamic has, has, has been a real struggle. I think there's been massive tensions there because um, Edin Rahic, who um, has a bit of a background in football at Stuttgart, really wants to be quite hands-on. I think he refers to himself as head of football. He has a, a big say in recruitment. I think he actually 
you know, wants to have a bit of a say in team selection, um, training, things like that as well. He really wants to be hands-on, which is obviously an anathema to somebody like Stuart McCall, who's quite a kind of old-school figure in a lot of ways. has been at a lot of British clubs where the manager is, is you know, the, the, the man who makes all the decisions. And I think that, that has been a, a real underlying tension for a long time. Over January and Christmas, it, it, it's kind of come to a head. And it was always going to the first-time results sort of turned um, there was always going to be problems because I think the two haven't been on the same page. Stuart is a, a, a Bradford legend, playing-wise, management-wise as well. He's he's done a good job. He will always have that um, the loyalty of a lot of Bradford fans, and I think there's a real unease about the direction that the club's going in now. Mark, if you were in charge, who would you appoint to replace him? I'm I'm guessing probably Stuart McCall. <laughs> yeah, I would. I'm, I'm, I'm really gutted that, he, that he's left. I mean, of the of the available managers, I look around and I look at somebody like Simon Grayson and think that he'd be good. But um, the people that I speak to here have told me that Grayson and McCall are quite close. McCall's not happy with the way that he's been dealt with. So I can't see that. It's funny. I mean, Steve McLaren was somebody I worked with at, at Newcastle. He's been spotted at, at Bradford quite a lot. Maybe he would fit into the model. He did a horrendous job at Newcastle, but I think in League One he might actually work, and in that kind of model he might as well. You know, David Wagner did superb things at Huddersfield. The model can work if you get the right people there, and it might be that they go for somebody who um, who can work in that, who maybe has a different way of doing things. And maybe maybe Bradford City does need a bit of a shock if it's going to go up and, and, and really uh, challenge at the top of League One. But these are precarious times at Bradford, and um, I think there's a lot of... City fans kind of watching developments through um, through sort of uh, their fingers at the moment and not entirely sure where we're going to go next. Well, Mark, we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Uh, and if you get a chance, dear listener, Mark's done a tremendous piece on Newcastle uh, and Arsenal's four-all draw a few games ago, a game that I was actually in the press box for and I still have nightmares about now. Shrewsbury, Billy, still riding high in League One, second place. Uh, do you have any interesting stories about Shrewsbury? Well, it's funny you should say that, actually. <laughs> I go to Shrewsbury quite a lot. I go there every couple of weeks. I've got a lot of Shrewsbury mates up there. I was out with them um, last Friday, actually. It was a very big night last Friday night before I went across to Derby. I was with James and Ryan, and they told me they were playing Bristol Rovers the following day. Very excited about it because it's it's got a very special spot in their lives. It's known as the Weetabix Derby. The Weetabix Derby. Indeed. And the reason why is that back in the day, apparently some guy turned up at Shrewsbury a Bristol Rovers fan and he turned up he's really drunken. And this is when they played at Gay Meadow and the you know stewards, good old fashioned stewarding back in the day, they said, excuse me son, you're a little bit drunken, go to that shop across the road, get some food, eat the food, okay, and then you'll sober yourself up and then you can come in. So he goes across, apparently he had 50 quid in his pocket, he went across the road and he bought 50 quid's worth of Weetabix. What? So he walks out over to the ground and he's eating this dry Weetabix, like, you know. <laughs> Try to sober up. He's gone there. They said, right, you're fine, mate. He's gone inside the stadium and he has obviously loads of Weetabix. So he handed it out to the Rovers fans and apparently they were throwing it on the pitch. So every time Shrewsbury play Bristol Rovers now, Rovers fans turn up or the fans turn up with these Weetabix and they start throwing it on the pitch and it's known as the Weetabix Derby. You will not get that kind of information on any other podcast, only on the Totally Football League show. Well, I don't know how I can follow that. I'll, I'll do my best, though, and I'll talk about Rochdale's history. Adolf Hitler fact. Adolf Hitler apparently loved Rochdale Town Hall so much that he ordered the Luftwaffe to steer well clear of the town to avoid damaging it. There was even a suggestion that he wanted to transport it brick by brick back to Germany after the war. Sounds stupid? Yeah. Well, so was opening up a war on two fronts. That f***'s got form. Rochdale were formed in 1907, but they didn't play in the Football League until 1921, when they were invited to take part in the first season of the newfangled Division 3 North. They finished bottom. They were in Division 3 North for a very long time, right up until 1958, when they qualified to take part in the first season of the newfangled nationwide Division 3. They finished bottom. In 1969, after 10 seasons in the 4th Division, Rochdale finally earned themselves their first promotion and enjoyed five seasons back in the third flight that ended abruptly in 1974, when they finished bottom. Incredibly, they stayed in the 4th Division, or whatever it was called at the time, for 36 years, and then, two playoff failures were followed by cathartic automatic promotion in 2010. They lasted two years in the third division, came down in 2012, and then bounced back up again in 2014. So that was one promotion and two relegations in nearly 90 years of Football League action. And then two promotions and one relegation between 2010 and 2014. Rochdale are a very strange football club.
They've had some moments, though. Despite their four-flight status, they were finalists in the second League Cup final in 1962. Uh, they lost to Norwich. That record stood right up until 2013 when Bradford pissed on their chips. They've got a nice stadium, Spotland. I enjoyed my visit there very much a couple of years ago, not least because, um, and remember that in all of the your dad jokes, I am very much your dad, uh, they boast the best pre-match music, thanks to a local DJ's predilection for mid-90s guitar-based indie. In spiral carpets you get at games. In spiral carpets, who plays that? These are things to cling to, Matt, because the football has not been up to much of late, until you turned up. That's right, it was the reverse of the Totally Football League show curse, as Rochdale beat Northampton one at the weekend, and watching them play like that, you'd be surprised to find where they are this season. Uh, they obviously finished in the top 10 the last three seasons running under Keith Hill and they do play a really nice style of football. Uh, they had to suck a bit of pressure in the first half at Northampton who had a few chances and tested tested goalkeeper a number of times but then second half Rochdale basically passed it around him and had Northampton uh, chasing shadows really and they scored a brilliant goal uh, through Calvin Andrews' strike. It was a really nice, well-worked goal. Uh, Delaney, the fullback, clipping it down the line for, for Matt Dunn to cross and Calvin Andrew tapping home and they could have extended the lead. That win was only their first league win of 2018. Uh, their last league win was against Peterborough on the 25th of November. That's a long, barren run. What's gone wrong? They, they have four games in hand, though, it has to be said as well, because obviously they put that FA Cup run together. They've got Millwall in a, in a replay this week and... Also, uh, they had a match cancelled recently, postponed at, at Spotland uh, due to Watlock pitch. So they, they have a bit of catching up to do. Uh, but defensively, they've, they've looked suspect at times. But Keith Hill played uh, a back five. It was pretty much a flat back five, really, in the first half when they were under pressure. He put Scott Wiseman in on loan from Chesterfield. I actually remember seeing Scott Wiseman at uh, Cambridge early in the season. He, he was the player that Jack Lester had a little bit of uh, almost an altercation with where he hooked him in the second half I remember and um, he brought on Matty Briggs at fullback Matty Briggs set up Chesterfield's goal and then Cambridge scored a couple Giovanni Brown who we went on about uh, from from down that left back position for, for Chesterfield and uh, I remember there's a little uh, tete-a-tete on the bench about that but Scott Wiseman did really well on Saturday slotting in to the uh, the central three of that back five and uh, yeah Rochdale played very well and uh, I think you know they're not too far really now eight points away from safety and if they can win a couple of those games in hand they're going to uh, they're going to make Northampton even sweatier than they were in that second half <laughs> they brought in quite a few players over January haven't they they have brought in quite a few players over January as I said Scott Wiseman did well but they also lost a lot of key players from from, from last season summer which uh, I think really is is key to them struggling so far this season they lost Mendes line to Cardiff and we all saw how well he started there they lost Matty London Jamie Allen to Burton as well Matty Lund who's since gone on loan to Bradford which I think must always be frustrating if you're a side like Rochdale where you have one of your players poached by a club in a division above you and then you see them come all the way back down except to one of your division rivals um, especially when they were sort of vying with Bradford for, for a playoff position at stages last season I mean they had an incredible run at one stage last season where I think they won something like 10 games out of 14 matches and it, it looked as though uh, they might be able to, to even mount an automatic promotion camp uh, challenge but uh, yeah, since then they've, they've fallen away. They are still 23rd, as you say, four games in hand, eight points from safety, but that is the kind of result that you suspect could, could kickstart a little bit of form. Certainly, and uh, they had a couple of players that did really, really well uh, in midfield. Calm Camps, uh, who I was reading uh, the Football League paper's great uh, teammates feature. So it was Ian Henderson this week, the Rochdale captain. He said that Camps has the, the worst tattoos at the club. Apparently, he's got a mole tattooed on his arm and a stick man kicking a football. Um, but he played very well. He almost scored, actually. I'm not, I'm not sure if you saw it, but he almost scored from the halfway line where the Northampton keeper came rushing out to, to clear uh, a free ball to Andrew. And Camps just hit it first time with his left foot and the ball started bouncing towards the goal line and uh, the keeper just got back to recover cover and tip it round for a corner and, and Mark Kitchen played very well as well he, he joined from Middlesbrough this time last year and uh, he, he was involved down the left hand side and second half he just kept surging forward and Northampton didn't know how to handle him Billy you ever been to uh, Rochdale? I'm actually gutted. <clears throat> Rochdale is one of the probably about three or four grounds that I've actually not been to in the whole of the Football League. And uh, it's one of those ones where, as you talk about before, you know, about Brentford and how they're doing, 
Brentford are always in the bottom divisions pretty much. They're always down there below. So year on year, you'll be playing teams like Rochdale, you know, and, and teams like that week in and week out. So every every year you go, tell you something, we'll play Rochdale next year. I'll go next year, I'll go next year. <laughs> but um, it never happened. And uh, eventually what happened is that when we got promoted in 1999 after sort of playing around Rochdale for years, all the fans on the terraces, they started singing, no, 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 no more Rochdale. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was a song. Ironically, they got promoted in 2007. So we actually did play Rochdale again. So the song didn't actually come true. But it was a big song for years. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, we put the, the flag in the sand. We weren't going to play Rochdale again. It was worth it just to hear you sing. <laughs> um, if you are planning to go to Rochdale, and you should do, if for no other reason than to go to the Baum, uh, which is one of the best pubs I've ever been to. Loads and loads and loads of craft ale. Um, Rochdale escaping Joe Crilly from William Hill. Is that going to happen? Uh, well... Obviously, they're quite a way adrift at the moment, but as Matt said, they've got a few games in hand. Uh, so their their price is uh, not actually that big for them to escape. They're 8-11 to 11 to go down, which is even money to stay up. Um, so uh, it, it's almost a take-your-pick price there, so... Oh, right. Okay. Well, if you are going to go see Rochdale, go to the Baum. It's really, really good. Um, It's not the easiest ground to get to. The car park's permit holders. Surrounding areas are residents only. There is some street parking along the Edenfield Road. Uh, That's only a five, ten minute walk away from the stadium. But you want to to plan ahead for that one. By train, Rochdale train station is uh, about two miles away. It's a fair old yomp. And as memory recalls, there's a a big old hill involved. Uh, Tickets range from £17 to £22, depending on where you sit though if you're under 11 you can get in for a fiver um so there you go that is rochdale when we come back it's league two right league two roundup What a week for Wickham Wanderers. A last-minute winner away at Crewe last weekend, a fine 3-2 victory over leaders Luton in midweek, an astonishing afternoon that saw them come back from 3-2 down to Carlisle in injury time to beat the Cumbrians 4-3, and the Totally Football League show performance of the week. They are still eight points behind Nathan Jones's Hatters, though, uh, who, for their part, saw off extra at Kenilworth Road thanks to a Harry Cornick goal. And Notts County occupied the third automatic promotion place after two straight defeats. They got back on track by walloping Surrey Crew 4-1. Accrington did it the hard way for the second time in a fortnight, trailing 2-0 at home to Stevenage before fighting back to win 3-2 in what should have been the Totally Football League show performance of the weekend. While Chesterfield remained nips deep in the brown stuff after a 2-1 loss at home to Harry Kuehl's Crawley Town. And Colchester won a game, their first in seven matches, seeing off Newport 2-0. Look at Mansfield Town go. 3-1 victors over Barnet. They are the form team in League 2. Won five of their last six and they're pushing hard for automatic promotion. Barnet might get to push hard for automatic promotion next year because they look dead certs to get relegated in May or possibly April. And elsewhere, Port Vale drew 0-0 with Morecambe in a grim game on a grim pitch that really didn't look like much fun for anyone. Boris Green have the sweet scent of safety in their nostrils after climbing out of the bottom two with a 2-1 win over Coventry, while Grimsby played out a 1-1 draw with Cheltenham and Lincoln and Swindon's playoff ding-dong ended 2-2. Port Vale. Matt, do you know why Port Vale are called Port Vale? Uh, No, but I'm sure you're going to tell us. I certainly am. It could be because they are said to have been formed at Port Vale House in Stoke-on-Trent in 1876, but I don't like that explanation. I preferred the more evocative story that they were named after a cluster of canal boat ports at one end of the Trent and Mersey Canal. The Trent and Mersey Canal. Oh, I could tell you stories about Josiah Wedgwood's involvement in that spectacular engineering project. I could paint pictures with words of the Anderton boat lift, but not on this show. Port Vale were founder members of the second division in 1892 and that's as high as they've ever gone. Indeed, they hold the record for the most seasons in the Football League without ever reaching the top tier. Good for them, it's overrated. They were called Burslem Port Vale between 1884 and 1907 when they resigned from the Football League due to financial issues but they came back in 1919 replacing the disbanded and now defunct force that was Leeds City. They were quite good in the 1950s, with their Iron Curtain side, a redoubtable crew managed by Freddie Steele, and they made it to the FA Cup semi-finals in 1954. The legend that is John Rudge managed the club from 83 to 99, winning the Autoglass Trophy in 93, and reaching the final of the much-missed Anglo-Italian Cup in 1996, where they lost 5-2 to Genoa. 
But like so many clubs, they sank deep into financial problems in the 21st century and they've been in administration twice in 2003 and 2012. Their six-year spell in the championship came to an end in 2000. They dropped to the basement in 2008 and though they came back to the third division in 2013, they only lasted four seasons. Back in the fourth division, Michael Brown paid a heavy price for a poor start to the season. But under Neil Aspin, Matt, Port Vale were making a good fist of their survival fight. They beat leaders Luton 4-0 on December the 30th but they haven't won since yeah I think you're right to say they were making a good fist of it they won uh, 8 out of 30 matches after Aspen was appointed it was all going well and some people some people may be in this chair right now tipped them for, uh, for a playoff space uh, you had pretty good odds on that though didn't you yeah it was 100 to 1 and yeah. uh, I got decent odds on Tom Pope being top scorer as well and he, he scored a, a flurry of goals uh, I don't think he scored in his last few games but um, no wins in 6 for Port Vale and Again, you need to be beating Morecambe sides around you like that at the at the weekend. Another nil-nil draw, room, and Morecambe had uh, actually had the better of the chances as well in that game. Yeah, Pope is still on the top goal scorers list, by the way, with thirteen, uh, a, a little bit behind Accrington's uh, Billy Key, uh, who has seventeen. It, it's not been the best football there for a while. It's not helped by the fact that the pitch actually makes Roots Hall look like a, a billiards table. Um, the nil-nil with Morecambe. I think we've said all that we can say about the nil-nil with Morecambe. It was really bad. I did watch the two-all from the week before with Colchester, and they've, they've got a few players there, Matt. Uh, David Worrell, and I promise I'm not saying this because he used to play for South End, but David Worrell was excellent against Colchester. And there's one Michael Tong as well. Yeah, Michael Tong, obviously, even Premier League experience, and uh, he just sort of sits deep in midfield, doesn't he, and uh, and sprays passes around. And they, uh, whenever I watched them earlier uh, in December um, against Luton when they won 4-0, they... they ran rings around Luton in that match and they, they really dragged them all over the place which was a surprise really because obviously Luton had been going so strong this season and to get hammered by a side towards the bottom end of the table but they had a Bournemouth Loney Ben Whitfield playing in that game and uh, he did really well before being replaced by Wall in the second half he got an assist for Pope and, and scored himself and you watch that match and you'd think that Port Vale would be a side challenging for promotion this season and you watch the Morgan game and you wonder how they're even in this division. Billy, you seen anything at Port Vale? I mean, I've not seen them, but I was speaking to my Port Vale, um, <coughs> my Port Vale, <laughs> the Port Vale Massive, as they say, and uh, they were doing really well up until, uh, well, up until New Year. And then it's all gone a little bit horribly wrong from them. They said that they lost their lone defender, Tom Anderson. He was recalled back to Burnley. Then they sent him straight out to Doncaster and they said he was very, very consistent. He's made a really big change. And also they lost Gavin Gunning to Forest Green. So they said they're desperate for a, for a left back. And okay, they've had a bit of activity in the window. They signed three centre halves: Callum Howe from Lincoln, Carl Hawkins from loan from West Brom, and Charlie Raglan on loan from Oxford. So they're saying that they're, they're struggling a little bit. And also the manager Neil Aspin as well had a great run. He should have got manager of the month last month, but it was given to the Lincoln manager. And I think probably that's affected him because he didn't get the manager of the month. <laughs> well, Neil Aspin, not a man to put up with uh, any nonsense. I saw he slammed the reserves the other day. Um, he said he went to watch the reserves. He was hoping they were all going to be banging on the door trying to get in the team he said it was a waste of everybody's time so I, I quite like a manager who's, who's that hands-on there is um you know financially it's been a bit of a disaster zone for some time but there is some good news on the horizon for them isn't there Bill? there is actually jordan hugill who plays for or played yeah. for e or preston north end who are actually playing bradford on saturday nice little link there um <laughs> yes he's actually got sold to to west ham and there is a little bit of money that's come off the back of that because he actually got he was a uh, part of their academy. So they're using compensation figures just under two million pounds. Mm. I think the questions happening in Port Vale at the moment now is to exactly how that money is going to be spent. I think obviously the fans would like to see it put back into the team, um, but obviously the people who run the club they're going to decide as to exactly where that money will go. Will it go into the team or will it go? <clears throat> Elsewhere. Well, yes. The, the first <laughs> comment. There. <laughs> well, I was going to say the, the first comment apparently uh, on, on the uh, on, on the article in the local paper was uh, let's get some hand wash in the men's bogs. Um, so the you know, different people have different priorities. One point nine million in whatever form. Um, it's going to make a bit of a difference, though, to Port Vale, man. That's Expensive. a hell of a lot of hand wash. <laughs> I mean, what state are those toilets in? <laughs> I've got a note in my script that just says. Port Vale forward slash Hitler. Billy? Port Vale, there's a couple of sort of strange facts about Port Vale. First of all, I think it's one of the highest grounds ever above sea level. Really? Yeah, that's just a fact, that throwaway fact. But there's another one as well. There's a, a place called Liditz, I think it's called. Um, it's a Czech village, and there was a Liditz massacre during the war. And Liditz was wiped out in the war by Hitler. 
all 184 men, over 15, were killed, and 184 women and 88 kids were sent to a concentration camp. Eight blonde-haired, blue-eyed kids were actually Germanized, so they're placed in German homes. So that massacre inspired the Stoke City Councillor, Sir Barnett Strauss, and also some local miners to set up the Lidditch Shall Live campaign that was in September 1942, and they raised funds to rebuild the village. So that actually worked really well. It went down really, really well. The Port Vale team actually visit Lidditch in 1960, a part of a tour, and they were given a commemoration pin and a vase. And it was such a success that the Czech national team actually made Vale Park their base when they toured in England after that. Billy, I've, I've spent most of the season wondering if anyone's listening to my history sections, and now I know that you've been there all this time, a kindred spirit. Love a bit of history. I do love a bit of history. Port Vale then, Joe Crilly from William Hill. They are currently 19th, seven points above Chesterfield, who of course are 23rd. Um, what's the odds on them to go down? Uh, they are 40 to 1 to go down. Oh, well, that uh, seems relatively secure. Yeah, uh, and if you are crazy enough to back them to get promoted, they're 500 to 1. Who would be crazy enough <laughs> to back Port Vale to get promoted? Only an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, what's the odds of Tom Pope being called Popey? Being called Popey? Oh, <laughs> if, if we're talking about your average football nickname, I think it's very uh, very short odds indeed. Oh, <laughs> I, think, I, think I would offer... That is a shoe-in. <laughs> if you want to go see Port Vale, and uh, why wouldn't you, quite frankly, you can drive because there's a large car park next to the ground which costs a fiver, otherwise it's street parking. Uh, Longport Railway Station is the closest one, but it's a good 30-minute walk away or six minutes for producer Ben. Uh, doesn't really have regular trains, unlike Stoke-on-Trent, but Stoke-on-Trent is four miles away from Vale Park, so you probably want to get a cab. Um, generally quite easy to get cabs at Stoke-on-Trent Station, I've found in my experience. Tickets are about 20 quid, 21 quid, depending on where you sit. Uh, juniors are £8. Under 12s, they go free. Right, Joe. Let's have the TV games. What have we got coming up? We've got Swansea and Notts County tonight. That's Tuesday. Um, odds on that one? Yeah, how uh, exciting for uh, county fans. They, they had, not to sound patronising at all, but uh, they had a great result uh, in the uh, the first time this game was played, uh, and they're six to one to cause an upset tonight. I imagine Swansea will do a bit of bit more rotation. Um, so six to one perhaps isn't the the the, the craziest price. Swansea one to two, uh, the draw three to one. All right, Tottenham against Newport. I mean, God, that's not going to happen, is it? Newport to win? No, and. Uh, Talking of patronising, there was a lot of a uh, lot of people going. Oh, Newport off to Wembley. Lucky them. Blah blah blah. Um, they are twenty-two to one to win in their uh, in inverted commas cup final. What's uh, what's the odds on a double? Notts County and Newport. Uh, again, you're testing my uh, my mathematical skills. <laughs> uh, it should be it'd, it'd be around about one hundred and twenty to one for yeah. the double. Right, steer clear of that. Friday night. Ah, the the game they they call the friendly derby. Millwall versus Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, obviously Cardiff uh, flying high in the division, but Millwall incredibly strong at home. Uh, they are favourites indeed to win this eight to five, with Cardiff seven to four, and the draw eleven to five. I, th- I think the draw is probably the way to go in this one. Then all right, Saturday looks fun. Sheffield United against. We can now say Paul Heckingbottom's Leeds United because he was confirmed while we were chatting earlier. How odds on Paul Heckingbottom to get a winning start? Uh, 100 to 30. Uh, Sheffield United odds on to win this one, uh, despite their not so uh, impressive form in uh, in recent months. They are 17 to 20 and the draw 12 to 5. I think this could be another draw. And Villa Birmingham. Uh, odds on me being proved right and Birmingham winning. Uh, they're 9 to 2, which isn't the worst result given their recent upturn in form. Uh, three games unbeaten with a couple of wins thrown in there. Villa 7 to 10. Obviously, they're doing very well as well. Um, and the draw again 12 to 5. All right, we've still got time for a few readers' questions. Send them to us on Twitter or Facebook um, and follow. Loads of exciting stuff happening on Facebook now that Social Paul is in the building. Uh, Musings from Molyneux wants to know, is Ruben Neves the best championship player ever or is Ruben Neves the best championship player ever? Billy. Cully. Cully. That's Cully from Musings from Molyneux. And uh, yeah, Cully, I mean, he scores some wicked goals. He's a great midfielder and he's a great addition to your side. And I... I'd say probably yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Matt? He's Wolves is uh, Ryan Woods, isn't he? He just sets the tempo in midfield and uh, he's been brilliant for them this season. What goal he scored at the weekend. Uh, I don't know if he's the best championship player ever, but he's certainly up there. Ben, on Twitter, he says, can Plymouth make the playoffs? Uh, Matt, 
You've probably seen Plymouth more recently than me. Yeah, I've got quite a few questions about Plymouth uh, after the weekend. Uh, I'll read out a tweet, actually, that I sent last week. 18 games unbeaten. I'm not sure if I can remember what losing feels like. <laughs> I was after we beat Warsaw in midweek. And, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of stick from my own Blackburn fans as well um, for, for saying that and jinxing us. And I've just noticed I'm wearing green as well today, which makes me feel like an absolute traitor. But... Plymouth, what incredible turnaround they, they've been. I saw them obviously beat Bradford 1-0 at Valley Parade early in the season. That's when Diagaraga played so well for them. And they've coped with losing him to Fleetwood brilliantly as well. And Ruben Lemiras is having a, a fantastic season. Scored a great goal against Blackburn. And then uh, it was spectacularly bad defending for, for Ryan Taylor to make it 2-0. Right. I'm not sure if they can make the playoffs, but yeah, they're doing brilliantly. A good one from Barry Collins on Twitter. He says, uh, does the panel think football league clubs should be forced to accept 3G pitches so that teams like Sutton and Maidstone can win promotion without having to rip up the pitches that are used by the community? Uh, A wholehearted yes from me, having done games at Maidstone and Sutton over the last couple of years. Everyone in the community gets to use that pitch without fear of ruining it. And anyone who says that 3G pitches are a poor quality compared to what's in League 2 clearly hasn't been watching League 2 football and, and should probably take a trip to Port Vale and indeed Roots Hall. 100% beside, behind you as well, you know, definitely. That is all of our readers' questions. So it only remains for me to say thank you very much, Billy, from Besotted. Where can we find you out there on social media? You can find us on besotted.com or you can go to Audio Boom. You can just check out our podcast at Audio Boom and on iTunes as well. And I'll tell you what as well, you might even find us in a local pub because we normally broadcast every week from a pub near you somewhere. So it's actually very unusual me sitting here, not with a pint in my hand. <laughs> it's 10 in the morning, Billy. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's very unusual. <laughs> Matt, thank you very much. Who have Blackburn got at the weekend? Oldham, and uh, we need to avenge that defeat that I watched uh, earlier in the season. Absolutely. Joe Crilly, where can we find you on social media? Footy underscore Joe. Uh, of course we can. And Bolton have got Fulham, Fulham haven't yeah. they? Yeah, that's not going to end well. Uh, Southend, <laughs> of course, will have Wigan equally. I'm not sure how well that's going to go, but we've got points on the board now. We're all right. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Insta Snaps, and we will see you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Hello there, it's James Richardson here. I don't know about you, but listening to that theme tune takes me back to altogether happier times. The ice cream, the pink newspapers, the, the double espressos, the hair. For those of you who don't start doodling during our Italian roundups on the Totally Football Show, well, here's some news you've been waiting for. From mid-January, we're going to be bringing you a brand new weekly podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest events from Syria and turning the clock back to the good old days, you know, when the national team used to go to the World Cup. The name of the show? Like you didn't know already. Golazzo! The Totally Italian Football Show. You can subscribe now on Audio Boom, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.